This is the Future of Device Management Podcast, brought to you by Fleet. I'm your host, Zach Wasserman, CTO and co-founder of Fleet. Now, let's jump right into today's episode. Hello and welcome. We are here today with Chris Long, Staff Security Engineer at Material Security, And you might know him from the popular Palantir OS query, query packs that he put out a few years ago, or his other awesome open source work through Detection Lab, or other things that he's done like that. Chris was also at Facebook at the time that OS query was created, so he was an early OS query user. And really looking forward to chatting with you, Chris, about these things and more. Yeah, looking forward to chatting with you too, Zach, and thanks for having me on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you for joining. So Chris, going way back prior to Facebook and all of that, what's your story and how did you get into cybersecurity? Yeah, that's a good question. I think when I was in high school, I started by, I was like just doing like tech support and like fixing computers. I worked at a, a computer repair shop and, you know, you saw things like dead hard drives and like dead power supplies, but like increasingly the problem was just like computers were just like overwhelmed with viruses and adware. And this was back in the day when like you would open up like your aunt and uncle's like machine and they had like 14 toolbars installed that were all just like adware. And so I think I just remember being, you know, like a student and being like, why do people make viruses? Like, what is the point of all this? Like, why are you just trashing people's computers and they have to spend all this money to get them fixed and like reformatted? And so I think I got kind of interested, you know, at that point, and this is also like, you know, the matrix is coming out. So like hacking is super cool. And I'd always been like really interested in just like building computers and like playing video games and stuff. So it kind of seemed like the natural progression of like, man, there's so much I don't understand about this like security aspect of like computers. Like I understand the hardware side and I understand a little bit about how to like network them, but I don't understand viruses and like, all this stuff that happens kind of behind the scenes. So I think that's when I started getting like really interested into it. And then I enrolled, uh, DePaul in Chicago had like, they had a specific like computer security major program. So that was like super attractive to me. I'm from like the Chicago area. And so I enrolled there. And from there, I met like a bunch of folks who are super into doing like CTFs and like, we're really kind of like hardcore about like the security stuff. So, you know, I participated in like CCDC over the years. And just, you know, was really able to like pursue that passion with like other people who were like-minded and kind of showed me the ropes along the way as well and like guided me in the right direction. And then, well, yeah, like before I ended up graduating, like I ended up getting a job at Facebook kind of out of the blue. And so it all kind of just went from there at that point. Oh, that's a great story. And, you know, hearing about your kind of good natured motivations it makes me wonder, like, what would your D&D alignment be like? Uh, lawful good, <laughs> neutral good, chaotic. I'm sensing good there, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if there's like a chaotic good, especially like around that time, it was certainly like a time of exploration and figuring out, you know, like where the limits of things were and like what is actually possible and like where am I actually going to get in trouble for things? And so, yeah, I mean. I definitely recall around like the time I was in college, like WEP was like able to be correct. And it was like, wait, like you can just do this. And like, yeah, you had to just like verify for yourself. Like, is this actually possible? 
So definitely a time of exploration, but I don't think I got myself in too much trouble. And, you know, I wasn't uh, looking through NASA's telescopes or anything like that. None of those stories. <laughs> well, looking through NASA's telescope sounds pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> definitely makes me want to grow the chaotic side more. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Chris, these days you're at Material Security. Can you tell us a bit more about, you know, what your day to day looks like? Yeah, I was one of the like early security engineers at Material Security. It's just myself and one other person who are focused on security full time right now. So it's really been a change for me because historically my roles have been very specialized towards, you know, kind of detection engineering and incident response. And now today it's just a collection of everything from infrastructure security and cloud security, also touching on like the compliance side of things handling even like a little bit of application security in terms of bug bounty, static analysis tooling. So really just trying to keep a solid foundation across like all these different disciplines and kind of realizing why security has gotten as specialized as it has over the years, like definitely makes sense once you're trying to juggle all of these things at once. And then I've been fortunate enough to even be able to like work on our, our product to a small degree as well and contribute there. So. Wearing a lot of different hats every day. And really the biggest challenge has just been prioritizing, figuring out what's important for the organization and making sure that stuff gets done. It you know, isn't always the most fun stuff, but prioritizing is definitely a skill that takes time to build and really kind of get used to, I think. So would you say moving to a much more generalist position at a smaller company, it really is that prioritization of there's so many different things that could be addressed that is the new and interesting challenge for you? I think that's right. You know, there's like the, oh, I, I didn't usually get to work on this stuff. And that's like really interesting to me. But then you also have to ask yourself like, well, is that actually beneficial? Like, what do we get by having that in place? And yeah, I mean, definitely sort of sky's the limit in terms of what is possible to work on. But figuring out what the right thing is to work on is, is definitely a skill I'm, I'm working on growing. Cool. Oh, that sounds like a really uh, awesome place for growth. So looking back some years now, you and I worked together a little bit back at Facebook at the time that Mike Arpaia had envisioned OS Query and, and Mike, with some help from me, was working to implement OS Query. And I just love to know for you as a security engineer, or maybe if that's the wrong title, you could remind us what the title was at Facebook at that time. You know, what was the context that convinced you to adopt OS Query and, and what opportunities did you see from using OS Query there at that time? You know, it's funny. I was like pretty skeptical of the project at the time that was being talked about because the value wasn't like inherently obvious to me at the time. I don't know if you remember, but the precursor to OS Query was like a bash script. I think we called it like Big Mac or something. And we were effectively doing some of the same things that OS Query was doing, which is just in the sense of like collecting information about certain elements of the operating system. Maybe we were like enumerating the cron tab using like just shelling out to like the cron tab binary and listing stuff there. And I think at the time I was like, well, this is like good enough. This is like a bash script. And like, it's really easy to write bash scripts and like extend these things. And, you know, performance isn't great, but whatever. And so I didn't inherently immediately see the value of like, why is storing all this information and sort of like a relational database sort of format? Why is that more beneficial than like what we're doing today? And so I actually think it wasn't until I left Facebook and the company went to after that was Uber that I really saw the obvious, obvious benefits of using OS Query and like how powerful it could be. 
you know, just the SQL syntax, being able to do like filtering inline, like you don't have to go edit your scripts or whatever. The daemon's there and you feed it different queries. You're not editing the binary to like filter out what you want to do and stuff. So I think that was like kind of funny for me. I wasn't like a detractor of the project by any means, I don't think, but the value wasn't like immediately obvious to me at Facebook. But yeah, ever since then, I've been using it. I've been like a diehard OS query user and fan. So uh, <laughs> that was the start of that. Love it. And certainly the OS Query community has really appreciated and, and benefited from you as a real security practitioner, bringing OS Query into a lot of new contexts and sharing more of what you've done with it, which I'd love to come back to. But I actually, it's interesting for me to learn that you were a skeptic of OS Query at the time at Facebook. So I wonder even when you went over to Uber, was someone else using OS Query there or why did you decide to even take yeah, a look I, at OS Query? I was, as I was saying that, I was trying to remember like why we did that. And maybe I just sort of felt like, well, all the folks we worked with at Facebook are using OS Query to like, you know, good benefit. And maybe by the time I left, I saw that we were collecting all these data sets and it was like, you know, solidly rolled out. And I probably wanted to mirror like what we were doing at Facebook as closely as we could and get those same sort of like data collection pipelines established is like my guess. And I think as I became in charge of that deployment and configuration, the value became much more like apparent. Nice. And of course, you're well known in the OS Query community for the work you did at Palantir with the Query Pack. So it seems like you continue to replicate that success at every successive job that you went to. A really cool thing, though, is, you know, those query packs that you published and made available to the community. And I'm interested, you know, what inspired you to put in the additional effort to share that stuff with the world? I'm sure that that wasn't sort of the default move to share that kind of intelligence and, and detection engineering work. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think the folks at Palantir had like historically been kind of private, more private about the work that they had been doing on like the security engineering side. And when I joined, I was blown away by some of the stuff that they already had in place and were doing that I think was like way ahead of most of the other tech companies at the same organization size. And I was so surprised that all of this was happening sort of like in isolation, very quietly, you know, having the ability to share this with the world and just kind of help other organizations up their security game would be so beneficial. And there's really not a lot of downsides to doing this, right? It takes a little bit of work to like kind of get everything open source ready, do the documentation, and there's ongoing maintenance in terms of responding to you know bug reports and things like that. But overall, I think it was pretty clear that the benefits outweigh the potential cons. And so... One of the like things they were doing phenomenally well, there's something called Windows Event Forwarding that I don't think a lot of organizations actually use, but it's like a native way to just forward logs within Windows and you don't need any agents or anything like that. And you can create these really granular custom subscriptions and things. And so we started by open sourcing that and that paved the path for like additional open source security engineering work over the years. And so when it came to OS Query Packs, you know, they're always great queries. Like there's nothing controversial in there. There's nothing super sensitive or super, and it's not so custom that like nobody else could ever implement it. It's not one of those open source things where it's like, you know, you need to be running these data warehouses that nobody else has. It's just queries, right? But these were the queries that had kind of served us well. And every query that we released in that pack had like a purpose for collecting that data. And I think that's where so many organizations struggle is they either 
don't know what to collect or they just default and like try to collect everything and they don't necessarily know why they're collecting the data they're collecting. But it's important to kind of come in with a plan of, if I collect this data, here's what it will enable me to do. Here's the value I actually get from this data. Otherwise, you know, why have it in the first place? Totally. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it may have been around that time that you started your personal project, Detection Lab, which for folks who aren't familiar, actually, maybe you could give a quick summary for folks who aren't familiar. Yeah, sure. So Detection Lab kind of came from a frustration on my end of having to reset up like Windows lab environments over and over, like building out a domain controller and then setting up security tooling like Sysmon or whatever security tools I wanted. And both red teamers and blue teamers have like a pretty regular need to have these lab environments for if you're a red teamer, maybe you're testing out a certain attack that you've discovered. Or if you're a blue teamer, you're like, what sort of breadcrumbs are left behind after this specific technique is used? What sort of logs can I use to like uncover this? And I was so tired of building these by scratch and finding the ISOs and like going through VMware setups. I just wanted to automate something. And so that's what Detection Lab is. It's really just like a set of scripts and, and tooling to help you automate the deployment of a lab environment that has all of that security tooling and like telemetry kind of turned up to 10. So you can use the lab for whatever purpose you see fit, really. And do you see that lab as a way to start to learn what data is relevant to collect and how we can build detections on top of it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great place to explore sort of what I would consider to be like a solid security baseline in terms of what's getting, you know, recorded and logged by default in Detection Lab. And I think it's great to sort of look at that data and see what sorts of attacks and what sorts of things am I able to detect if I have this set of data and then maybe do some gap analysis. What am I missing here? If I wanted to detect, you know, somebody inserting a malicious USB device, do I have those logs available to me with this configuration or do I need to look further? Maybe some organizations care about that, maybe some don't. So it's really about picking and choosing what you need and that should be based off like what your organization and security needs are. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. And and these projects that you've open sourced, Detection Lab and the, the Palantir query packs have both, I think, provided a huge amount of value to the security communities. And I imagine value to you as you've moved on to new organizations and been able to kind of continue building on, on the work you have. But I'd be curious to know, do you think that it also provided sort of career development value to you? Is that something that folks are aware of when you're interviewing in new positions? Do they see you as a leader because of that kind of work? Yeah, that was like a super unexpected side effect for me. When I released Detection Lab, I thought like, cool, I might get like one or 200 stars on GitHub and like, you know, a couple of people will use it and I'll just like maintain it for a couple of months and then everyone's going to forget it exists, right? And it kind of ended up being the opposite. Like I'm still maintaining it to this day. Yeah, I've joined just like calls with like customers that we have in material security and people know my name just from Detection Lab and like nothing else. So it's definitely provided like a lot of unique opportunities and just working at it and being a maintainer of an open source project is also very eye-opening in terms of the support you get from the community, but also some of just like the frustration that you can also deal with as well. People filing bug reports just because they didn't read the first two lines of documentation and things like that. So yeah, it's a commitment for sure, but one that I'm happy to make and has been really beneficial for my career and my personal like development and learning. That's awesome. And I can relate to that completely, you know, both the joys and the sorrows of maintaining open source software and, and building a career around it. It's such a cool 
thing for folks to be able to do in this modern day in the time of GitHub when it's so easy to get a project out there and to receive those bug reports and those patches that folks put in. It's just awesome. One of my favorite things, it's like so silly, but I've had a couple of pull requests come into Detection Lab and, you know, sometimes there's a little notification. It's like, this is this person's like first pull request ever. And I'm like, that's so awesome. Like, I'm happy you feel empowered to submit a pull request on my project as your first sort of like PR. So those those little things like make me really happy. Love it. Love it. So anyone who's listening, if you've never submitted a PR on GitHub before, just know that if you submit it to Detection Lab, you'll get an extra <laughs> smile on Chris's <laughs> face. I'll tell you, we'd feel the same way at Fleet or in OS Query. It's just so cool to see these communities growing around these projects and these work that a lot of us have invested a lot of time in. So Chris, changing gears a little bit and kind of going to some more general advice and thoughts. What are your top three pieces of advice for organizations working on building out their device management or, or security strategy based on your experience? Oh, man. So I think the first one for me that's like kind of the no-brainer is just get like everything behind like SSO or SAML and just have MFA everywhere. There's so much struggle and pain with the sort of onboarding, offboarding, especially when you've got like local accounts for all these different tools and so many organizations now rely on dozens of different SaaS services. And so to have to go in and clean out accounts after people leave or dealing with the pain of like all these access requests when people join and don't have access to the tools that they should have to do their job. So much of this can just be like automated and the pain taken away by just putting SSO and MFA around everything. So that's my number one sort of like no brainer. Device management specifically, man, just like having a clear way to like manage inventory, whether you're doing that through like your MDM solution or you're doing that even through something like Fleet, but just having like a central, you know, trusted source of inventory. And then one thing that has always kind of bothered me through the years is we don't have like a great way of measuring the impact that like our security tooling has on users' endpoints. You know, we've all seen those tickets come in that like, oh, CPU is at 100% for this endpoint agent or whatever. Or I, you know, I just did an update and like this thing is killing my box. And I think we as like security people who are installing these tools on our employees' laptops like need to be more conscientious and have hard data about the impact that our tooling is having on them and setting up alerts if, yeah, like something spirals out of control and some of our security tooling is like negatively impacting people and you know, crushing disk or crushing like CPU cycles, I think that would be great to have. And then absolutely just like testing everything before it goes out to your fleet. There's kind of no excuse with all the sort of DevOps tooling available today to just YOLO be sending out like tooling updates and hope for compatibility to work. It doesn't work that way. So having good testing framework. And then just like lastly, going back to what we talked about, which is like, have a use case in mind for like the data you're collecting. Like don't just go in and say, I'm going to collect like everything, like the entire ocean and, and throw it in my like multi terabyte, like data lake and hope I find something to do with it later. Like come in with a strategy of the data that you think is important and why you think that's important and what you're going to do with it and how you're going to action on that data and then find a way to collect it after that. There's often more than one way to get to that data as well. So I think those are kind of my, three pieces or more of advice. 
Those are great. And to me, some of this sounds like it kind of boils down to like, remember that there's a person on the other side of these processes, whether it's the person who uses that laptop, whether it's the person who's responsible for the service running on the server, or whether it's you or someone else on that security team who has to sift through the data once it gets to our, our Splunk, our Snowflake, our Elastic, any of that kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So then, you know, as of today, what would you say are the biggest challenges facing your team at Material and also for the industry as a whole? Certainly one of the biggest challenges we face today is just our application is built on top of, you know, Node.js. We use like NPM and there's so many concerns about supply chain security right now with NPM and rightfully so. That has been sort of I think highlighted as like one of the top, if not the top risk facing our organization. And I suspect a lot of other orgs who, you know, are using NPM are in the same boat as well. I sort of look at it as in two different camps, right? There's like the known badness, which is a lot of the vulnerabilities that get reported in these packages. And so there's, you know, making sure you're patching your packages in a timely fashion, making sure you're testing them afterwards to make sure you haven't broken anything by patching them. And then there's like sort of the unknown scariness of NPM, which is like, is the developer of this package going to sell his package to someone? Is he going to get his account hijacked? Is he going to like have some mental break and just decide destruction is awesome? I think that's the really scary part that is really hard to quantify and sort of hard to control to a large extent. So that's like the number one challenge facing us. And then I think the challenge with like, I think security teams are facing throughout the industry, at least personally for me, it's just everything just kind of moving to like containerization, like everything is running on Kubernetes now and it totally breaks like the, I guess it's legacy now, kind of like network models that we had in mind with firewalls and, you know, being able to just grab like network logs on the wire and also like forensics, like disk forensics, memory forensics, kind of not a thing when your pods are spinning up and down multiple times per day. And like endpoint agents as well, right? Like most of them are not designed to be running in a containerized environment. So figuring out what security engineering and detection engineering is going to look like with everything running in a containerized environment, I think we're not caught up to that yet. And there's going to be some tooling and process changes that will need to get us there. Totally. And I'm looking forward to those conversations continuing and seeing folks like you helping to lead us into the 21st century or the third millennium. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. And to kind of wrap things up, I'd like to look a bit more forward into the future and say, you know, what do you expect to be the biggest changes in, in cybersecurity over the next few years? I don't know what my expectations are, but one thing that I like personally hope is I feel like over the last five to 10 years, like we've really just been kind of reinventing the wheel over and over, especially with like detection. Every organization seems to have their own like custom bespoke like detection thing where they're they're getting logs using this one transport, they're sending it to some centralized thing, whether it's like a SIM or some data lake or whatever the case may be. And then they have some set of queries that they're running on top of that data, whether it's like you know, codified or whether it's like just Python or whatever the case may be. And it just feels like as an industry, we're rebuilding the same systems different ways, like over and over to like varying degrees of success. I sort of like to see some degree of like standardization or like kind of convergence towards like what solutions there have worked the best and just, um, you know, see people stop sort of just like trying to slap a bunch of things together and like hope it works and and does exactly what they want. Because 
I don't know. I guess for me personally, I've seen it go wrong so much that I hope some of the like better practices start to emerge there. And, you know, I think like part of that is just going to be like embracing kind of the more modern engineering, having infrastructure as code and having engineers like really understand some, some of like the core competencies that come along with software engineers. And I don't think that means that every security engineer needs to be a qualified software engineer. But I think understanding some of like the principles and how applications and backends are built needs to be factored into how we're building things for our organizations and for ourselves, for our own sanity, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. And to me, it looks like we're on a path moving from, I think, security analysts to security engineers and for engineering. And it's kind of a builder's mindset to integrate through all of these things. So I think yeah. those are some really exciting developments to look forward to. I think that's right. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking some time to come chat with me today. And for folks who are uh, interested to hear more or see you in the future, you have any conferences coming up that you're speaking at? Are there socials for folks to find you on? I will be at B-Sides SF for the first time in many, many years uh, this year, which I think is like early June. So uh, happy to talk to anybody there. Cool. That's awesome. And Twitter, LinkedIn, any anything like that that folks should catch you on? Sure. Uh, Twitter is at Centurion. And I don't know what my LinkedIn is, but you could probably find me there if you search hard enough. <laughs> awesome. We'll drop those into the show notes for anyone who's interested. And Chris, thank you again for coming on. It's been really fun to chat with you uh, and hear your thoughts about where we've been, where we're at, and where we're headed. More than happy to join. Thanks for having me, Zach.